This is FaithCast, weekly messages from Victory Faith in Spokane, Washington. To stay connected with Victory Faith, visit victoryfaith.org, where you can submit prayer requests and praise reports, sign up to receive weekly email updates, give online, and much, much more. Consider joining us for our live stream online Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at victoryfaith.org live. Now, on to the message. Good morning, good morning. How are you today? Good day to be in the house. Should we pray for Hoopfest people that are out there sweating in that sun? Lord, bless them. Protect any of our people that are down there. Hey, does anybody know this is a historical week? Could we stand up and give the Lord thanks and be grateful? Father, we thank you for standing up for life. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy. God, we thank you. We thank you for answering prayers, Lord. Thank you, thank you. We do today. We celebrate a monumental event in our nation's history. The Supreme Court coming with a decision that they did, standing up for life, um, is a powerful thing. I believe that God answered prayers and he stood up for life. And it is an incredible thing. I know there's been decades of prayer and activism that have led up to this day. And I, I know been going to D.C. Uh, to go back and pray since 92 and if you knew all the people that had prayed and prayed through the years, I think of at this moment, I think of some gentleman. I was back in 92, and we we're in a cafeteria that's right under the Supreme Court. Right, I mean, you're right above you is the Supreme Court. There's this cafeteria you go down in. And in 92, I was there, and I bumped into a couple of older gentlemen. They're probably 70. That sounds pretty young now. It doesn't sound as old as it used to. And these gentlemen were there, and I got talking with them because I'd gone down there to pray for the court right above us. And they said, hey, we just moved here. I can't remember where in the country they'd moved from. They were part of Intercessors for America was the name of the ministry they were part of. And they said, we have moved to D.C. so that we can be in this room every day the rest of our lives praying over the Supreme Court. I mean, it's just incredible that these guys, they, they retired and that was what they wanted to do with their lives was be praying every day for the Supreme Court. Very powerful. Um, I believe it's a moral victory for our nation and that it's going to influence the climate of our nation. And I, I mean, I, I believe the enemy wants to bring war out of it, but the reality is when we got saved, we entered into a war. At least we, the war had always been there. We just got on the good side when we got saved. I think it's time, in times like this, it's time for the church to shine in humility Come on, shine in humility, shine in gratitude, shine in grace, not gloat. Uh, and, and the reality is, this is one day in the battle. One day in the battle, there's still more to go. It's time to, because of what has just happened that many of us have been praying for, it's time to step up and pray and get involved with adoptions. Uh, I mean, if we're, if we're going to pray for something, then we need to be a part of the solution. So we need to pray and step up in adoption, foster care, um, supporting women that are facing the decision of abortion. It's, it's, it's not like this something happened and now we go on vacation. It's this happened and now there's more, more to do because of that. Uh, it's time to pray for peace uh, in our nation. Uh, we need to pray for protection over the Supreme Court justices and their families, every one of them. We're going to do that as I wrap up just this moment here. We need to pray protection over pregnancy care centers. We need to pray protection over pro-life organizations and churches. 
And then we need to pray for our state legislature. And we've been praying for the nation and some for our state, but we need to be praying for our state legislature to guard and protect children in the womb. So would you stand up with me while I lead us in a prayer? Father, first of all, we are grateful. We are grateful for your mercy and for your goodness. Father, we acknowledge that you answer prayer. We acknowledge, God, that you love life. You love life wherever it is, God. You are a protector and a defender of life. Father, right now we lift up our state and we ask, God, that the miracle you've done in our nation, that you would do that miracle in our state, Father. Lord, we lift up the Supreme Court justices and their families, every one of them. We pray protection over them. We bring the word of God to bear that says no weapon formed against them will prosper. God, we pray blessing over pregnancy care centers. God, we pray blessing over pro-life organizations. We pray blessing and protection over churches. And God, we just cry out for mercy for our nation. Lord, we know you are not done. You are turning this nation back to you. And Father, we acknowledge it today and we declare revival is coming. We declare an awakening and a revival is coming in our nation, God. Young and old, Father, will be caught up in the presence of God. And Father, that institutions will be changed by a holy God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Hey, if, if you weren't here last week or didn't watch online, we had a bit of a historic time last week for us here at Victory Faith. Um, we, we shared, Pastor Boney, myself, and Pastor Trevor, about succession and about transition of senior leadership here at Victory Faith. If you didn't watch that, um, I would encourage you, get online, go watch it, um, and find out firsthand what's going on and the details of how did we get to this place and now what does it look like moving forward. But most of all, I want to say this. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your overwhelming, I mean overwhelming, positive responses. All week, I've, I've just been overwhelmed by positive responses. Victory Faith, you're the best. You are the best, and your best days are ahead of you. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to talk about America today. We're going to do some digging and hopefully the Lord show us maybe some things that are trying to take our nation out. Um, and then next week, we are going to party hard. We are going to celebrate this amazing country that God has blessed us to live in. Do you know that God cares about individuals? Each person, God cares about an individual because he, he gave his, this, his, the life of his son for individuals. But do you know he loves cities and nations? He loves cities and nations. Let me give you a scripture. Jeremiah 29, 7 says this. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray for your city. Pray for your city. Well, I pray for my family. God says, I want you to pray for your city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The scriptures tell us that Jesus on a particular day was looking over a city and he wept over the city. He wept over the condition of the city, and then he spoke to the city like he was speaking to an individual. Pretty amazing. You know, we would think that's ordinary, him talking to a person, but he, he looks out over this city, and he begins to speak and pray over a city like he's talking to a person. In Psalms 2, verse 8, it says, he tells us, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So you might want grandma's hutch, or you might want that cool desk that grandpa had. You want to inherit something like that. God says, if you'll ask me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Wow, how big is that? And you know, because if God's called you to victory faith, we, we have a passion for Kenya. We believe part of our inheritance is the nation of Kenya. We have a campus there. 
But we have a passion for America. And back in 92, 1992, a number of other, some other churches from Spokane and us went back and our youth did a, 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 a event or a service on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and made a covenant with God between us as a church and other churches and the nation. And I believe from that moment on, Victory Faith had a very special relationship with the nation that God said, okay, you want a covenant with me? I'll take you up on it. Will you pray for your nation? Will you come back here and stand in particular places? Will you pass the truth on to the next generation? And so we have, if you're part of Victory Faith, we have a passion for this nation. It's not a perfect nation. It's not a perfect nation. We've got challenges. Anybody here got a perfect family? Come on, there's nuts on every tree, every family tree. Some of you might be those nuts. Come on. It says in Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. So does that mean a nation that's blessed, a nation that's, that is given by God, does that mean that every person is saved, every person is a Christian? No, never has been and never will be. That's not what it means. But our nation was founded on the word of God, on the Bible. Our, our government was founded and shaped on the word of God. And if you've been around very many years, I have brought that to you again and again and again, and we'll do some more of that next week. Um, our, our government, our laws were based primarily on the word of God. That is who we are as a nation. And so that, I believe, makes us a Christian nation. Sometimes we don't look like a Christian nation, but I believe in our foundation that's who we are. It says in Psalms that if the foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous do? So if I'm building a house and I've, or I've got a house and the foundation is destroyed, nothing you can do. You're going to have to tear it down. But if the foundation is solid, you can go for it. You can rebuild if the foundation is solid. And that's what it is with America. Our foundation is incredible and it was based on the word of God. So what is the greatest danger to a nation that was founded by God, based on the word of God, that is called by God, that he wants that nation to serve him. What's the greatest danger that there is for us? I believe it is forgetting where we came from. Forgetting where we came from, or maybe never even knowing where we came from as a nation. And it's powerful to see the impact that has on people. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, all through the scripture, especially the Old Testament, God says, remember, remember, remember what I did. Remember what you did. Remember, remember, remember. He's always telling us to remember because it's important where we've come from. And it says this in Deuteronomy 32, 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain it to you. So I'm going to give you two quotes from two former presidents that knew this concept of how important our legacy was. President Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president, said this. A nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. Ours is a rich legacy, rich but lost. Wow, powerful statement. Teddy Roosevelt, 22nd president, he said this, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure to ourselves what that life would be if these teachings were removed. That's a president saying that. Come on. The word of God is so vibrant and vital in the founding of this nation. So the 4th of July week, 4th of July, we celebrate when our nation officially became a nation. 
And that's what the 4th of July is all about. The Lord's hand has been on this nation from before and after. And let me just tell you, some of where I'm going, hell hates America. Hell hates America. I'm going to talk about that some more. Why does hell hate America? Because of the foundation of what our nation was built on. Hell hates America. Because we have sent out more missionaries to other nations than any nation on the planet. Hell hates America. Because we have sent more finances for missionary and church causes around the world than any other nation. Hell hates America. And so we need to understand that concept that we, there is a real enemy who goes around to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now you're going to hear from me uh, often a reminder, we are not a perfect nation. We have never been a perfect nation. We have nuts in the family tree. But it's still a nation founded by God that God wants to use in the world around us today. So to me, that's exciting. So I want to give you a couple of testimonies. We believe there's a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through Victory Faith. We've seen it in the last couple of months. And so I want to give you some testimonies of some people that helped found or involved, influenced our nation in some way that talk about the Holy Spirit being involved in that. First one is Christopher Columbus. It's out of the book, The Light and the Glory. And these are his own words. This is what he said. It was the Lord who put into my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from what? The Holy Spirit. Because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. This sounds like one of my SL students talking at the end of the year. Goodness. I am a most unworthy sinner, but I have cried out to the Lord for grace and mercy, and they have covered me completely. I have found the sweetest consolation since I made it my whole purpose to enjoy his marvelous presence. For the execution of the journey to the Indies, I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. It is simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. How's that for a quote? Now let me make a statement. I've already given you a few quotes of people. I'm going to give you a few more quotes. And let me make this disclaimer. There will be no quotes from perfect people. That all right? There will be no quotes. There is such a swirling around us today that, well, you can't quote anybody unless they've got it all together. They're perfect. Listen, if my limitation was to only give quotes of people that are perfect, I would only have one person to quote for all of, all of history. His name is Jesus. That would be the only quote. And that's a good, good quotes to have. But we're quoting people who have been involved in the founding and touching of our nation, influencing our, influencing our nation. Next one, John Adams. He signed the Declaration of Independence. He was the second president of the United States. He's not going to talk about Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about Holy Ghost. Could you say Holy Ghost? Holy Ghost. He said the Holy Ghost carries on the whole Christian system in this earth. Not a baptism, not a marriage, not a sacrament can be administered but by the Holy Ghost. So he's just kind of covered what we would call the church world. But now these guys, thank goodness for our, our, those that helped found and build our nation. They didn't believe the church was just supposed to stay inside the four walls. He turns around and he starts talking about the Holy Spirit in government, Holy Spirit in different areas getting involved. Listen to what he goes on and says. There is no authority, civil or religious. There can be no legitimate government but what is administered by this Holy Ghost. There can be no salvation without it. All without it is rebellion and perdition, or in more orthodox words, damnation. Come on, John, tell us what you really think. Quit holding back on us. What do you really think about it? 
One of my heroes that is a woman that I've read about, studied, and just love, a woman by the name of Sojourner Truth, had a powerful influence in our nation in an important season. She was born into slavery. She lived in the 1800s. Her name was actually Isabella Bumfrey, but she felt God's call on her life, and she changed her name to Sojourner Truth. She was an abolitionist, a woman's right activist. She described herself as pure African. She was an imposing, amazing woman standing six feet tall. For her day, that was pretty tall. She became one of the most famous black women of the 19th century as she traveled around the United States, preaching at camp meetings and churches, turning people's hearts back to God. So let's, let's hear what Sojourner has to say. She says, God revealed himself to me with all the suddenness of a flash of lightning, showing me that he pervaded the universe. Conscious of my great sin, I wanted to hide, but I plainly saw there was no place, not even in hell, where he was not. I exclaimed aloud, oh God, I did not know you were so big. My heart was now full of joy and gladness as it had been of terror and despair. The very air sparkled with diamonds and smelled like heaven. Sounds like Holy Ghost to me. Doesn't that sound like Holy Spirit to you? Come on. Our nation, by and large, mostly was founded by people that came from other nations where they were persecuted for their faith. They could not worship Jesus as they wanted. And so as they came, they founded communities and colonies that would allow them to worship Jesus in freedom. And I'm just telling you, when you know the truth of how our nation was founded, it changes you. It impacts you. So since 92, we have taken somewhere, it's mid-900s, not quite a 1,000 yet, intercessors to Washington, D.C. to go pray for our nation. That's a lot of people. And so when we take those people, there are books that we read, there are things that we study about the founding of our nation that almost nobody gets in school. You just don't get it in school these days. And so we, we bring that in firsthand accounts, the words of the people that were actually there, not some historian today telling us what they said then or what they thought then, but their actual firsthand account words of what they said. And I'll tell you what it changes you. When you go into the Supreme Court, the former Supreme Court, in the Capitol building, in the basement, and you stand there and you read firsthand accounts from letters of people that were in church services on Sunday, every Sunday there was church services in the Supreme Court chambers in the Capitol building, it changes you. I'm just telling you, you stand there and go, somebody's lying. Somebody's lying. Somebody didn't tell me the truth out here. And I see people that when they find out the truth, it changes them. It shifts them. It changes them. So what do we do if people have forgotten? What do we do if, if people have, um, don't know some of that history. We have a very real enemy that goes about stealing, killing, and destroying. And I'll tell you what, the enemy is working overtime right now in America to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to bring down this nation in a big way. And again, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? How many of you have seen the movie Wizard of Oz? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Scared the poo out of me when I was a kid. I mean, those flying monkeys are demonic. They're just pure evil. I had nightmares about those monkeys. They were terrible. But I remember that movie and, and The Wizard of Oz, you know, you go into this big theater room and all these smoke and lights and all this stuff, and all of a sudden they pull back the curtain, and behind the curtain was a man. The wizard was this man doing all this stuff behind the scenes. I'm hopeful that for the rest of this message, God would allow me to pull back the curtain a little bit and show us maybe what God sees is going on in our nation and why some things are happening the way they are and what we've been seeing, especially over the last few years. Are you with me for a journey on that? You okay? 
Let's do it. So I'm going to give you another quote of another person. This next quote is from a man by the name of Karl Marx. Um, Karl Marx once said this, a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. If you don't know where you come from, if you don't know where you've been, you're easy to be persuaded. So Karl Marx was a very interesting guy. He was an atheist, anti-God atheist, and he would be known as the father of Marxism. He wrote, he and another gentleman wrote something called the Communist Manifesto. That gives you a pretty big idea right now of his mindset, who he was, what his worldview was. Um, so Communist Manifesto, he died in 1883, but his philosophies and his worldviews are greatly impacting America today. His philosophies and his worldview. Craig, what's a worldview? A worldview is like putting on glasses and it colors everything you see. If I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I should have a biblical worldview. I should look at the world through the lens of the Bible. Not just my family, but everything I see, I need to look through the lens of the Bible. That is a biblical worldview. So when I say Karl Marx had a worldview, he had a worldview of what he thought, how the government should run, how these things should run. And as you see, he wrote the Communist Manifesto, gives you a little bit of feel for maybe how he thought things should run. So he is, his philosophies and worldview are impacting us today. So let me talk about, and you, you might say as we're getting into this, Craig, uh, is this what we talk about in church? Bless God, I hope so. I hope so, because it's being talked out about there, so we should talk about it in here. There are different parts of how governments and nations are run, and especially in the area of economy, and economies are important because con economies are the money, baby. And so you have differing ones. We in America today, we operate mainly under capitalism. Capitalism has some great things about it, has some challenges in it too. But capitalism is where we're at today. Another step in another direction would be socialism. And then a further step in another direction would be Marxism or communism. So let me just talk about those a little bit. And let me give you a definition of socialism out of the history, history channel. And this is what it says is in the area, uh, and this is one of the main tenets or ideas behind socialism. It promotes an economic system in which production and distribution of goods are planned, organized, and controlled by a central government. That's, that's a one definition of what socialism is in the area of the economy. Let's look at Marxism and communism. It, this is uh, some definitions I gathered. The working class should overthrow the ruling class by violent class struggle and establish a classless society. Good luck with that. Their economic system is similar in some ways to socialism. However, production and land are owned by the government. The output is redistributed among the people. There is a strong central government, often known or called the state, and it controls all aspects of economic production. It provides citizens with their basic necessities, including food, housing, medical care, and education. Does anybody think that sounds a little bit like some of the direction America's been moving over the last number of decades and, and years? Yeah, yeah, you're quiet. I'll take that as your thinking. <laughs> Marxists, or get on that communist side, Marxists, um, when, when you read about some of their writings about capitalism, uh, socialism, and communism, or Marxism, as you... They'll, they'll say they don't, they don't really, they don't want to stop at socialism, but you'll read some of their writings, they'll say, well, socialism is okay because it's the first phase moving towards getting out of capitalism, moving towards communism and Marxism. 
So you'll hear that. So in the history of the world, um, since Karl Marx especially, there have been countries, nations, where this has tried to happen, where there's been violent revolution in countries. And I, and I could give you some places it actually succeeded as far as the overthrow of, of government. But I'll get, I want to focus on some where it didn't succeed. One would be Italy in the early 1900s. The workers in Italy tried to overthrow and make uh, Italy a communist state. It failed in 1918. It failed. And then, uh, uh, very interestingly enough, in America in the 60s, there was some violent trying to overthrow of government in America in the 60s. If you were around, maybe you remember some of that. Um, but neither one of those completed what they really wanted with the vision for Marxism, communism. But an interesting thing happened out of those people that were wanting that to come to pass shifted their model of how they were going to do it instead of coming frontal and face up on you and saying, we're going to overthrow, we're going to take over, there's going to be a violent revolution in this country. They decided to go, and I wrote down the term they would often use, long-term battle of ideas. We're going to be in this for the long term. We're not going to have to come face on and do this. It's going to be a long-term battle of ideas, and we are going to persuade people to go along with these things rather than, boom, face on with them. So, interesting. So, Marx, uh, when he came up with his worldview, his, his uh, philosophies, he, he, he would say that, that this uh, class needed to overthrow the upper class and he would describe it that there were two classes. He would break it into two classes. He would say that there was the oppressed class and there was the oppressor class. That was Karl Marx and his theory. And he called that conflict theory. Conflict theory. That was what it was called. Conflict theory became something you may have heard of, critical theory. Critical theory comes from conflict theory. It is just a movement down the scale. It morphed into critical theory. And so in critical theory, you have the same thing you had in conflict theory with Marx. You have an oppressed group and you have an oppressor group. Interesting? So Karl Marx's teachings are the basis for critical theory. And you, Craig, that's your opinion. No, that's fact. That's the facts, Jack. And let me read to you a quote from the editors of the Encyclopedia Britannica giving their definition for critical theory. And this is what it is. Critical theory is a, could you say it with me? Marxist-inspired movement. Critical theory is a Marxist-inspired movement in social and political philosophy originally associated with the work of the Frankfurt School of Germany. So let's, let's have a little fun here and let's, let's contrast critical theory, which is all over today, all around. Let's contrast critical theory and how it operates compared to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Are you up for that? Ready for that? All right, let's do it. So critical theory is based on tearing down, overthrowing, destroying, I would even say. And I'll tell you what, there's no honor in it. It fosters division. It fosters hate. It doesn't, if it comes along and you find a person that is down and out, maybe they're poor, whatever it is, and you find that person, you want to help them, but their main focus under critical theory is who's at fault? Who, who, who's at fault in this? And it looks for someone to put the fault on and blame, so in critical theory, you have division, hate, blame, accusation. It's your fault. They're like this. Sound familiar with what you were seeing today? Jesus teaches us if we come along and someone's down, we don't look for somebody to blame. We help them up. We help them up. We say God is for you. He's not against you. 
I, I, I think about this. The kingdom of God is not into blaming. It is not in condemning. Uh, Jesus and his disciples came upon a man that needed healing in his life. He had been born that way. And his disciples say, hey, Lord, um, who, who's to blame? Who sinned here? Him or his parents? They're trying to, to condemn somebody. They're trying to judge somebody. They're, they're trying to blame somebody. J Jesus, who sinned here? The parents or the child? And Jesus said, neither. Neither one of them. He says, this is so that the glory of God can be seen when this man get healed, gets healed. Jesus didn't put blame. He didn't go along with it. They wanted to bring in the blame game. He wouldn't go along with it. In another place, I mean, the kingdom of God is not accusatory. In another place, it says um, Jesus had, had this woman brought to him. She's caught in the very act of adultery, and they're going to stone her, and everybody's holding stones, and Jesus says, you that is without sin, cast the first stone. And what is... Uh, he, so it says they drop their stones and head out. And then he looks at the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're nowhere here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Aren't you glad Jesus is your God? Aren't you glad that he's the one that we give our lives to? He doesn't look for accusation. He doesn't look for blame. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And here's maybe one of the most important things you see in critical theory. Critical theory identifies and separates people into groups, into groups. People are gonna get labeled and put in groups. You, you, you judge people, we should judge people as individuals, not as groups. And so they'll get put in race or gender or economics. And really, it blows my mind, it's stereotyping. It's totally stereotyping. Women, men, rich, poor, black, white. And, and then here's something you've probably seen over the last couple years, a group that got thrown together called policemen. You know, okay, are there changes that need to come in many political, or not police systems, uh, law enforcement systems, systems? Absolutely, there's changes that need to come. But the critical theory response is we're going to defund it, we're going to destroy it, we're not going to reform it, we're going to tear it up and get rid of it. That's, that's the, uh, and it took a, a group of people and did that with them. No one should be judged by the color of their skin. No one should be judged by the color of their skin. No one should be judged by a group. So Karl Marx, in his, his, his worldview, was you have oppressed people and oppressors. Je let's talk about Jesus in the kingdom of God. It identifies us as individuals, and it unites us together in Christ. Do you know we're all in the same group? It's called we have all sinned. We're all in the same group. Whether you like it or not, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the group that we've all sinned. So we are in that group. And as Christ's followers, we are supposed to see one another. Look at your neighbor now for a minute. We are all supposed to see one another as brothers and sisters, no matter what race, no matter what gender, no matter what background. Come on. That is who we are in Christ. When we look at somebody, we are to see them as a brother or a sister in Christ, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their background, no matter what that is, no matter the gender, we are supposed to look through the eyes of Jesus as we see them. So what did Jesus do when he came across division, when he came across barriers, when he came across hostility between people groups? I love it. In Ephesians 2, he tells us exactly what he did. It says this, verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united two groups of people that absolutely hated each other. He united two groups of people that hated each other. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility. 
He found two groups of people that hated each other. What did he do? Did he divide them further? Did he put blame on any one of them? No, he died for them and brought them together as one. That's the kingdom of God. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. From the two groups, he made one new people. Jesus unites. He doesn't separate. He unites. Come on. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God. Jesus, how did you do that? How did you bring these two groups together that hated each other? by means of his death on the cross. Jesus got on the cross and died for us so that we could be united together as one. Well, Craig, what about these hostilities? Are there any hostilities out there today in our world to one group against another group? Hello, hello. Are there hostilities out there? Listen what when we come to Jesus happens to that hostility. It says our hostility toward each other was put to death. Come on, love it. So, Craig, why, why are you sharing this? Because I am a shepherd and I'm concerned about our sheep. That's why I'm sharing this with you. Is This is flowing through our world today in a major way. And I, want, I just want you to have some of this to put on your thinking cap with and your praying cap with to, to go out into our world. Because today you hear critical theory, which again came out of conflict theory, which came out of Marx. You hear critical theory working its way through our culture all over the place. It's being applied to race, oppressor, oppressed. It's being applied to gender, oppressor, oppressed. It's being applied to economics, oppressed, oppressor. Let me give you a quote from someone that I so respect in this area. His name's Dennis Peacock. He's a Christian strategist. Um, he grew up in the 60s, went, or went to college in the 60s at Berkeley University in California. I mean, the hotbed of Marxism and communism, Berkeley was, it was one of the places, I'll tell you. And he was around that. He was, he's a former pastor, and he speaks today on current issues and how they apply to the kingdom of God. Listen to what he said about what I'm, I'm sharing with you now. He said this, to destroy a culture and a nation. Now think about that. That's just a mouthful right there to destroy. How do you destroy a nation and how do you destroy a culture? To destroy a nation and to destroy a culture. Well, what do you think, Dennis? Tell us your thoughts on that. To destroy a culture and a nation, it must become so corrupt, so odious and shameful that most of its citizens think it's worthy of death. That is what hell is doing today in America. It is trying to tell us America was never good. America's never had anything good about it. It doesn't have anything good 20 years ago. It doesn't have anything good about it today. We just need to tear everything down and start all over. I'm hearing it all over the place in our country. Got to make you think it's corrupt. Make you think it's odious. Make you think it's shameful so that most of its citizens will say, what the heck, let's get rid of it. The enemies of Christian-based Western civilization have launched a well-planned strategy to do just that. It has been executed for the last half century in our premier universities. We are again at a watershed moment with two conflicting Americas. This raises the question, how can we have an intelligent discussion when more than half our population knows little to nothing about American history, let alone the essential responsibilities of an effective citizen? You know, I love the story of um, thinking where he said it's got to become stinky, odorous, 
odious. Um, that the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is in the grave for four days. When Jesus shows up, the sisters go, by now, Jesus, he stinks. This is bad. It stinks. Do you know that God will let some problems sometimes get so stinky? He's not afraid of the stink, that he'll deal with it, and he'll bring an answer to that problem. I'll tell you what, there are areas in America today that are so foul they stink. Things you read about, things that you're seeing, but I want to let you know, God doesn't mind letting things get to where they stink before he fixes them. And I believe he is still well able to bring healing and blessing and breakthrough in those areas. So here's, here's a, a thought to think about. So we're talking about critical theory. We're talking about how Jesus would do it. And really what we're doing is, do you know we have issues and problems in our nation? I can, you can look at so many areas. There's racism in our nation. If you don't think there is, wake up and smell the coffee. We're, there is injustice in our nation. The question is, how are we going to bring it healing? How are we going to heal the divide? How are we going to change the culture that is out there that has those issues in it. And what I'm talking about today are two very different models of how you deal with that issue. I'm gonna side with Jesus, and I'm gonna say, Jesus, we want revival, we want awakening. God, we want you to come and unite us rather than divide us in our nation. So that's what we're talking about. But we, there are issues. And so as I've studied this and looked through this, actually, this has been on my heart for a couple of years and I didn't feel a release from the Lord to share it till now. But there's one person that's always been a hero of, in American history to me and he's just grown and grown as I've studied these things. And it's Dr. Martin Luther King. Phenomenal, amazing leader. His commitment to biblical models and values with all that was coming against him, all the injustice around him, all the things going on in his world, in his day, it's incredible the stance that he would take as a man of God, as a theologian, as a pastor. He said his dream was that his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's what he wanted. Don't, don't box my kids in because of the color of their skin. I want you to look at them because of the content of their character. Critical theory judges people by the color of their skin and other ways too. These are some quotes I got from Dr. King. As a theologian, Dr. King reflected often on his understanding of nonviolence. True pacifism or nonviolent resistance, King wrote, is a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. Wow. Both morally and practically committed to nonviolence, Dr. King believed that the Christian doctrine of love operating through the Gandhian method of nonviolence was one of the most potent weapons available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom. Come on. He just went up about 50 notches. Knowing all these other things and how people are trying to bring change in our nation, in my estimation, in not a good way, to see how he stood and what he stood for in the days that he walked on the planet. You know, we are in a war, whether you realize it or not. Before you got saved, we were still in a war, a war on this planet of, of the enemy and God. And when we got saved, we just joined the right team. We got on the good team when we got saved. But I think about in, in these days, we need to understand that we don't fight against people. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking about principles, talking about worldviews, mindsets. Sometimes Christians get a hold of that, and then they get angry with people, and they go after people. Listen, we don't fight against flesh and blood. 
We, we, we don't fight against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Uh, uh, it's not flesh and blood. It's principalities. It's these different things. It's our prayers. What is God's answer for America? It's, I believe it's what happened this week is we got to a tipping point with prayer. And God's people, let me tell you God's answer. In 2 Chronicles 7, 12, you've heard it before. I'll finish with this. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. What did he say? I heard your prayer. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, here we go. Here's his answer. If my people. He doesn't look anywhere else. He just says, my people. If my people who are called by my name will, number one, humble themselves. I believe over the last 50 years, there's been enough Christians humbling themselves and saying, God, we need your mercy. We need your help. If they will humble themselves, pray and seek my face. I believe there's a tipping point came where enough people have prayed, humbled themselves and were praying and God brought breakthrough and brought deliverance this last week. If they'll pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to your prayer made in this place. That's God's answer, is prayer. So because we live in America, I'm not gonna tell you, you've gotta agree with what I just told you. You're, you're, you're free moral agents. I've just brought you information and it's up to you to now go take that and study and say, is this true? Is this true? Do some of your own research. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. You see when violent overthrow has tried to come to the U.S., look up some of the names and some of the organizations that were involved and you will find out they were Marxist. Very blatantly Marxist. I, I know God's not done with America. He's not done. He loves America and he's looking for his church to do those things that we said right there. Humble themselves pray, seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, and his promise is, I will heal the land. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to lead us in a prayer over our nation. Do you feel like you got a Holy Ghost doggy bag full? You got a whole bunch to think about and pray about? But I'll tell you what, Craig, why would you talk about things like this in church? I am so thankful because there are pastors, there are people in America today that say the church should have nothing to do with politics. And you know what? It's America, and they can think that. Yep. Hallelujah. Thank you for freedom. Yep. But thank God in the founding of this nation, there were men and women that took the word of God, looked through a biblical worldview, and said, this is how the government should be built. This is how the laws should be set up. Thank goodness. And thank goodness that we live in a free country right now where somebody like me can talk about these things in church and challenge the church and say, come on, church. The enemy's trying to tell us everything's odorous. Nothing was ever good. And that is a lie. All right, I'm just getting fired up. Okay, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. And God, America is special. It's not better than other nations, but it's particular. It's special. There's, you founded this nation in a beautiful way. And God, we have zits. We have problems. We have injustice. We have racism. We have so many things. But Jesus, we trust you to be the solution. We trust you to be the healer in this land, God. Not man's ideas of destruction, Lord God. 
So Father, we come before you today and we cry out for mercy for our nation. God, have mercy on our nation. Give us what we don't deserve, Lord God. Give us what we don't deserve. Father, we thank you for the founding of this nation. And I ask God that you would raise up a generation in this hour that Father would go back and dig up our true Christian roots in this nation. And Father, walk out the, what you have meant for this nation to be even in the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, maybe somebody's here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't know him. But he wants to know you. He died for you. And there's, the only way you will get free from your past is to say yes to Jesus. Let him into your life. He will heal the past. And you will never know what you were created for. He's the creator. He knows why he gave you the personality that he did. He knows why you went through the experiences that you did. But they won't make sense until you say yes to him. Get him on your ship of your life and walk into the future. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, my friend. Holy Spirit, I believe there's some people here today that it's their day to say yes to God. It's their day to discover true love. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a minute. I'm not gonna call anybody forward. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. So uh, with every head down, every eye closed, if that's you, you say, Craig, I want to say that prayer today. I want to say yes to Jesus. Would you just boldly raise your hand? Just raise your hand and say, Craig, that's me. I want to be in that prayer. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I see those. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I love it. I see those. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's a good day. Good day in the house. Anybody else before we say the prayer? Come on. All right. Victory Faith, uh, would you say this prayer with me? And if you raised your hand or didn't and wish you did, it's not too late. Say, Jesus, boy, do I need you. Forgive me for where I've been and what I've done. I believe you came from heaven to earth. And I believe that you died on the cross. But best of all, I believe you rose from the dead so that I could live. Today, I make you my Lord and I make you my Savior. Today, I'm born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, hoo -ah. Come on, give the Lord a hand.